What if you could be doing something smarter with your money that creates income now? If you're wanting to get ahead financially and enjoy greater freedom of choice, if you want a comfortable retirement and you know you'll have more choices if you can do more with your money now, if you've wondered who else is creating ways to make their money work for them and you want actionable ideas with honest pros and cons and no fluff, welcome to the Richer Geek Podcast. We're here helping people find creative ways to build wealth and financial freedom. I'm Mike Stoller, and in this podcast, you'll hear from others who are already doing these things and learn how you can too. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Richard Geek Podcast. I'm excited to have uh, Scott Melby on. Scott is the CEO listen to the CEO of Uranium Royalty Corp, and he's also their EVP. Scott, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Thanks, Mike. It's great to be on with your viewers and listeners today and, and talk about nuclear energy and how it fits in uh, our uh, energy future going forward. Yeah, it's, it, it is exciting. So everybody uh, out there that's listening, this is not... Um, the typical type of podcast we've had, which, you know, real estate and, and syndications investing, this is uh, an informational uh, podcast that I think is extremely important, especially in today's world of, uh, you know, how are we going to live in the next hundred, next couple hundred years as far as our energy consumptions, you know, uh, our, our, our tech is not going to go away. Uh, you know, I, I have a Tesla, you know, how are we going to, power those it's just the energy consumptions that we need is just expanding and today we're going to have scott talk a little bit about uh, why uranium and nuclear power is a, a, a very viable option and safe option so uh, scott uh, 36 year veteran of the nuclear energy industry so tell us a little bit about your background what you do yeah, so um, I have been very fortunate to spend my entire career in uranium and nuclear energy, everything from buying and trading uh, uranium uh, fuel components uh, to buying the uranium fuel for uh, nuclear power plants down in Arizona outside of Phoenix and mm -hmm. Palo Verde. I live near there. Yeah, <laughs> and then I uh, have spent much of my career on the mining side, producing mm. uranium and selling uranium to global electric utility companies around the world. And more recently, uh, much more entrepreneurial uh, phase of my career with a small uh, startup, uh, uh, startup, I would say 10, 15 years ago that uh, got into the business of developing uh, uranium deposits in Texas and now in Wyoming uh, to a point where today we're a, a uh, a junior mining company that's uh, grown quite dramatically and is one of the sort of uh, uranium producers uh, in the United States that's poised to uh, really uh, kick, kick up the production and, and uh, meet the increasing demand. And then we've also started the Uranium Royalty Corp, which is a way for investors to have a diversified portfolio of royalty investments in various uranium operations around the world. Now, in reading some research, what is um, your company is the first and only pure play uranium royalty and streaming company. So 
give me some background on that and why that's important and and what does that mean as far as uh, what does it mean for that uranium type of industry to have this type of concept? Sure. Well, uh, in the base and precious metals industries, about 10, 15 years ago, this concept of companies based on royalty and streaming. So these are companies that hold financial interests in developing mines, operating mines, but they don't own the mines. They don't have the huge workforce. They don't have the standby costs of of keeping the mine down and getting it up and running. But what they have is they get paid a royalty, which is a cash uh, interest when the mine produces or a stream, which is a physical offtake of the product when the mine produces. Mm -hmm. And these are companies like Franklin, Nevada, silver, uh, wheat and precious metals, sandstorm, royal gold. It's a $50 billion industry. So for investors, it's a way to invest in a commodity but have diversified risk. You're not putting all your eggs in one mine or one company's mines. For the industry, it's a way for miners and developers to finance the development of their operations in addition to raising equity through uh, capital raises through equity or through debt through uh, typical bank arrangements. So we're a, a capital provider to the uranium industry going forward. Why is uh, uranium so important and, and nuclear power compared to you know, all of the media, it seems like uh, solar, you know, the, the wind. Um, tell us about the importance of, of uranium and why it might be a more feasible option. Yeah, well, and it's interesting. Your audience is, as uh, tech professionals um, would appreciate that the, some of the strongest opinion leaders and, and, and uh, just leaders on, in nuclear energy today come from the tech industry. Bill Gates, Peter Thiel, folks like this that realize how much electricity means to our economy today mm -hmm. with the increased computerization of everything, electrification of our, of our uh, uh, global economy, and certainly with transportation. Uh, you know, Elon Musk, uh, I think, is, is bang on when he says, you know, our electricity demand will, will increase by at least 50% mm -hmm. uh, if we roll out electric vehicles the way I think we'd all like to see. So, you know, Wind and solar are great. Um, there's nothing wrong with renewables. In fact, they have a very important part in, in the energy mix, but they have limitations. And, and their biggest limitation is that they only run 25 to 35% of the time at, at best. So if we're really serious about producing clean energy and, and moving towards a lower carbon future, um, we need to figure out what to do with the other 70% of, of our uh, energy generation. And this is where nuclear fits in very nicely. It's something we've always known in the nuclear energy industry, but it's only been recently that I would say politicians, policymakers, the investment community, even environmentalists have come on board and said, yeah, you know what? Uh, nuclear not only can produce clean air, carbon-free energy, but it can do it um, you know, with a 95% capacity factor. So we really view ourselves as, as a perfect complement to renewables, which are more intermittent sources of supply, where we can keep the lights on when the wind isn't blowing or, or the sun isn't shining. That's very important. I mean, if you don't go down that path, uh, it's a lot like, you know, Germany went down the green energy path 15 years ago and they spent hundreds of millions of euros on going towards renewable energy, but at mm -hmm. the same time, phased out their commitment to nuclear power. So in 2021 today, Germany's paying electricity prices 50% higher than neighboring France, which is all nuclear. And they've really done very little to impact their carbon emissions. And if you know, Germany 
with that kind of commitment to green energy, you know, hasn't been able to reduce their carbon emissions. They're just burning more Russian gas and, and dirty lignite coal. Well, what hope does China have or India have? And so we really believe that nuclear, I mean, isn't the whole solution to our energy needs going forward, but it's a very important component and fix, fits well in, in the mix. Why do you think people are so, politicians, people in general, have this adverse, you know, I don't know, adversary thought of nuclear power. It just, you know, for me, it doesn't make sense because I, being in the military, I saw nuclear power. I, I was, I was around it. To me, it's extremely clean. It's extremely wonderful. But why do you think, is, is it just because you're saying it's nuclear? I mean, mm. they just can't get around that word. Yeah, I mean, I, I think one of the, I mean, I think the industry has really done a poor job of, of promoting ourselves and really getting these strengths across to the public. Um, you know, it, it, it doesn't help that, you know, nuclear energy really came out of the nuclear weapons programs of, of you know, the 1940s. But it was very quickly, I think, Dwight D. Eisenhower in 1950 realized that the whole Atoms for Peace movement that, you know, uh, using fission and uranium and nuclear energy to produce electricity is a very different story than, than, than bombs. I mean, in more recent years, we've actually dismantled nuclear weapons in, in Russia and blended down the uranium and used the, the, the fuel uh, to power electricity uh, in cities in the United States. So it's very much uh, these days, it's, it's an energy story, but I think, um, you know, we've, we've been done a poor job about communicating the safety uh, mm -hmm. of nuclear energy. I mean, uh, if you measure fatalities by any energy source we have available today, nuclear is, is the safest of all energy sources, you know, based on how much I mean, massive amounts of electricity that produces over time. And its safety record is comparable, is, is lower, but is comparable to wind and solar. Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of its carbon emissions, it's the lowest uh, uh, total system uh, carbon emissions, and it's the only low carbon energy source that produces 24-7 power. Um, waste is all often raised as a major issue. I mean, nuclear energy has actually been the most responsible uh, in dealing with its waste because we've kept every gram of, of waste we've ever produced since the 1950s. Instead of pumping it out of a smokestack or out of pipeline into a river, we've kept it and we're going to either store it permanently in a geologic repository that hasn't changed for hundreds of thousands or millions of years, or we'll reprocess it into more fuel going forward. Um, and the volume of that waste in the United States would fit on one football field. So I think there's a mm. perception that the waste is just an insurmountable um, scientific challenge. It's not. It's really political, not scientific. So again, we, we just need to do a better uh, job of communicating that. Uh, I do think though that it's clean energy aspects and reliability. Uh, we've seen polar vortexes and weather uh, uh, conditions with, with changing uh, climatary conditions where extreme winters or hot, hot uh, summers uh, where 24 seven energy is critical and even um, you know, very efficient ways to produce electricity like natural gas um, you know, price themselves out of the market, like you saw in Texas during the cold snap there, where yeah. consumers were hit with, with $10,000 electricity bills because so much of that cost of that generation is the fuel, whereas uranium, um, you know, one runs through hurricanes, heat spells, cold spells, the fuel's on site, uh, like your nuclear reactors in the submarines, they're, 
they're only refueled uh, intermittently every 18, 24 months in, in the commercial nuclear case. Uh, so they tend to have a lot of strengths that are now in this sort of societal transformation of, of the way we use and generate electricity is really being appreciated a lot more. And I think it is important. It's, you know, one of the things that everyone is talking about is the carbon footprint. And I think it's very important to what you were saying, but just how clean it, the best thing that you said is there's, there's no smokestacks, right? Uh, people don't realize that even with the wind turbines, those blades, when they go bad, they don't, you have to bury them. They, mm-hmm. they don't go away. You know, they will be there 10,000 years from now. Um, you can't recycle those, those, those turbine blades. Um, and I think that sometime in the future, this nuclear waste, we're going to have some geniuses out there and say, hey, remember all that nuclear waste? We can actually make it into something yeah. uh, and reuse it. Now, we're actually, we're actually doing that in, in France, yeah. um, you know, where they do recycle their fuel. I think, you know, mm. in the United States and, and elsewhere, um, uranium is fairly relatively cheap. So we kind of go through that once through. Uh, cycle where um, I think the, the solution is to store the spent fuel in a, a, a retrievable fashion where mm-hmm. it can be taken back a hundred years from now, we're going to need every energy source that's available to us. And if there's still 80% of the fuel left in the spent fuel and mm-hmm. we can reprocess it, that into new fuel, why wouldn't we do it? And, you know, it is being done uh, elsewhere in the world, like, like in France today. Yeah. What exactly is uranium you know and when it you know i know it has a part to do with nuclear fuel or what is uranium so uranium is is one of the most commonly found elements in in the earth um which surprises people it's Hmm. it's in sandstone deposits it's in hard rock deposits um in order to be a commercially viable uh, deposit that that turns into a mine you've got to find that uranium in, in concentrated levels uh, that, that justify the cost of, of mining it and processing it. Mm-hmm. But it is, a, it is a, a metal, it's an energy metal, which is mined and then um, basically uh, producing a yellow cake or, or uranium concentrates, which is converted into a gas. And then the gas is spun in a centrifuge to separate the U-235 isotopes from the other isotopes, which are not fissionable and you get uranium, which is enriched to a level of about 5%, which can then sustain a, a reaction, a reactor that basically boils water and spins a turbine. So that's very different than nuclear weapons, which are an enrichment level of 97% uh, in that range. So um, again, it's an energy mineral that is mined. Uh, you know, in uh, the United States, we have probably a billion pounds of known and likely resources across the Western United States. Canada is a major producer, Kazakhstan, Australia, um, Southern Africa, Central Africa. So it's uh, uh, quite available. I mean, we could sustain nuclear power for many hundreds of years uh, with the known resources we have. It's not something that we're going to run out of quickly because that, that's obviously a concern in the sustainability mm-hmm. of nuclear power. Do you see anything else as far as with nuclear power? Are, are we going to see uh, not just 
with you know taking over as far as uh, powering things as far as homes and buildings and and submarines is, is there any other type of market that you see that uranium and nuclear energy may be used and you know i'm thinking yeah, maybe airplanes or you know it's other things that yeah so um you know clearly uh, space travel where we we are using nuclear powered uh, rockets and once we get to mars or wherever we set up bases you've got to be able to produce uh electricity uh more sustainably than than you might be able to get from just the typical traditional solar panels Mm -hmm. um, we're using nuclear power to produce hydrogen, uh, which is very important for transportation and mm -hmm. clean energy options going forward. Um, desalination of water is, is incredibly energy intensive, but critical in places where they just lack the clean, you know, clean water resources like we have here in the United States, the Middle East, uh, for example. Um, so we see you know, incredible applications. Well, obviously the medical has always been important in cancer mm -hmm. treatments, diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Uh, treatment of cancer. Um, and another one that's really interesting uh, was announced uh, today that uh, Energy Harbor that operates nuclear power plants in Ohio is co-siting um, uh, in support of cryptocurrency mining uh, because we're, you know, the discussion of, okay, cryptos are great, but, you know, how, how are they produced? Are they produced in an environmentally friendly manner or, or are they not? And so citing cryptocurrency mining next to clean energy nuclear power plants, um, you know, is, is another application. So I think just uh, going forward, I mean, you're seeing companies, whether it's Amazon or Google commit to carbon-free energy mm -hmm. or big mining companies, Newmont, the world's largest gold company located in Denver, where I am, has committed to a 30% reduction in carbon emissions by 2030 and 100% by 2050. Mm -hmm. That's a tall order. And I think um, it's one thing, and I'm not against it, but I mean, a lot of these carbon-free targets are being met by offsets. They're still relying on fossil fuel energy to meet some of their needs, but the, they're offsetting that with investments in you know, uh, mangrove swamps in Brazil or planting forests somewhere else in the world. That's fine. That is a legitimate offset. But at some point, we need to figure out how to deliver you know, the, the, the electricity in a carbon-free manner so a company can be not just net zero, but, but uh, from a gross perspective, uh, 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 achieving that. And so we're seeing nuclear power being adopted in uh, micro-reactors for mining operations, whether it's in Northern Ontario or Quebec mm. and those territories. Uh, who knows, you know, maybe amongst the gold mines in Nevada, you would have a micro or a small modular reactor that provides carbon-free energy not just intermittently, which is very hard to run a factory or a mine on intermittent energy, but can run 24 seven in a clean uh, manner. Um, the small modular reactors are something too that are really the next stage where small modular reactor means a reactor that's 50 or 100 megawatts, not 1500. Mm -hmm. It can be built for hundreds of millions, not billions of dollars. It can mm -hmm. be built on a scalable manner where you can build uh, one, two, three, um, uh, segments at a time and build your way up to, um, you know, a, a significant uh, capacity. So they're, they're great for remote locations, island locations, yeah. grids that are heavily burdened by um, uh, renewable power. That intermittency causes grid operators real headaches trying to meet demand with something that's not running all the time. So small modular reactors hmm. have a place. Um, I was very fortunate to attend 
the announcement about five weeks ago in Cheyenne, Wyoming, where Bill Gates' company TerraPower out of Washington State um, is selling a reactor to his, I think his bridge buddy, uh, Warren Buffett, who owns Pacific Corp and uh, Rocky Mountain Energy owns the utility company in, in Wyoming, where they're buying one of these 300 megawatt advanced reactors, siting it on the location of a retiring coal-fired plant. Um, so, you know, I don't care which side of the political spectrum you're on, this just touches all the buttons. It, it employs people that, you know, did rely on that coal industry, which is so important in coal country. And if we're gonna phase coal out, we've gotta give them viable alternatives to live and sustain themselves in, the, in those communities. So signing a nuclear power plant where a lot of the skills that they learned at the coal-fired plant are transferable. So, um, you know, we're seeing that, that next wave of reactors uh, uh, with small modular and advanced reactors. You're still seeing big, big reactors built around the world in China, India, yeah. they have big baseload needs. We've added 56 reactors to the grid globally in the last eight years, another 51 under construction. So it really is a, a growth story. And, um, you know, where I come in on the uranium side of the business is, um, you know, we've under invested in the uranium mining and development around the world for the last eight to 10 years. And so, investments in being able to supply uranium uh, to meet this uh, increasing demand for nuclear energy is where uh, my two companies are really positioned. Mm -hmm. Now, how small do you think these reactors can get? Is this something that can be, you think we'll get to the where it's mobile, you know, that we can disaster areas go in and yeah. here's, do you see that in well, the future? Absolutely. Um, one of the applications that's really being advanced right now is through the Defense Department, and it's called Project Pele. And I was, it was interesting for me to learn that in all of our um, uh, military interventions in Syria, Iraq, mm -hmm. Afghanistan, our highest number of casualties has come from the supply, logistical supply lines to those bases. And um, the largest consumable at those bases is diesel oil to keep the power running at mm. those forward combat bases. Mm. So the U.S. Defense Department has realized, okay, we've got to reduce the casualties and reduce the number of, of convoys through these dangerous areas. So they developed micro reactors, which fit in the size of a uh, shipping container. They're shipped on site and uh, can provide power without having to continually supply it with tanker truckloads of, of diesel oil. So, you know, that is being developed. That same technology can be used in mining operations, remote locations, islands. Um, it is being used in space travel and in rockets where you need a lot of energy in a small package. Whether it goes to, to um, vehicles, I mean, I think the better use for nuclear power in um, transportation is through the generation of electricity that goes into electric vehicles. I mean, if yeah. you're fueling your Tesla with coal-fired power plant, uh, okay, it's great. You know, you, you don't have the, the, the emissions from your tailpipe, but there's a coal-fired plant somewhere that still is. And if we can move towards a greater carbon-free contribution to the fueling of electric vehicles, we've really achieved something. Yeah, that's, you know, this has been extremely, I, I don't even know how to put it. It's, it's, it's something that you don't think about and, you know, I'm so glad that you came on because it's, I, I have heard Elon say that, look, we don't have enough electricity to do what 
these administrations, these these government people want. You know, they just say do it, and and the real geniuses behind the, the products are like going, uh, you know, not unless yeah. you create something, you know, more. This is, this is the big challenge. I mean, the way we use and generate electricity is determined by three things: public policy, consumer yeah. preference, and and then the technological aspects. And a lot of what's been happening lately has been driven by the public policy and the consumer preference, but the rubber hits the road when it comes to technology, how much energy we're actually going to need and the way you generate that. Um, We can't just wave a magic wand and get all the the carbon free power that we want and need. I mean, not to pick on California, your neighbor uh, there to the West. Oh, you you can pick on them. That's that's fine. (laughs) I mean, California wants to you know, go to the sale of all electric vehicles by 2030 or 35, yeah, yeah. yet today cannot reliably supply electricity to homes and businesses in 2021. So you know, we really got to deal with this. And this is why folks like Bill Gates and Peter Thiel mm-hmm. are all over this because they've done the math, they've done the science. And if we really want to be serious about carbon reduction or mm-hmm. even just clean air energy, you don't have to be a climate change warrior mm-hmm. To love nuclear power because you know if you're a kid growing up in Mumbai or Delhi or Beijing, and you can't go out and play for you know several days uh, straight because of the, the the pollution issues from coal-fired power yeah. plants, well, I would argue that's probably more important to them than you know one or two degree change in global temperatures. Yeah, important, but you know we can address both of them with nuclear. Yeah, I, I think. It, it's so funny, it, you know, you're, you're hitting on these, these climate change activists. And I, I think, you know, 50% of them love nuclear, 50% of them are, or, you know, hate it, you know, whether it's due to misconceptions or not. And then, you know, how hard is it with ever-changing policies, every, you know, potential, someone new in the White House every four years, how hard is it to continue to push what you want to do yeah. with these ever-changing all right you know here you go you've got four years of let's do it let's you know and then yeah. someone else comes in and oh my god nuclear we're going to kill everyone well, Mike, the problem is it's like energy issues are not four-year problems or, or four-year yeah. challenges they're 10 and 100 year challenges mm-hmm. and they don't fit well in an election cycle especially when you know you're swinging uh back and forth uh yeah. more frequently so um you know, that, that, that is a, a, a critical step. I mean, um, but, you know, public policy is one thing. Consumer preference is the other. Um, you know, I'll give an example. During, during the Trump administration where, you know, the, I would say the phase out of, of coal-fired power generation was slowed mm-hmm. uh, under, under his administration, mm-hmm. there were no electric utility companies in the United States that went out and said, oh, now's my opportunity to go out and build a coal-fired power plant. I think in some cases, public policies out up front and in other areas, consumer preference um, gets out ahead of, of public policy. And I think with greener energy, cleaner energy, the public's demanding it no matter who's in the, the White House. Now, yeah. you have to do it wisely and smartly. And, and there may be parts of the world or, or even parts of the United States where you're going to need a component of coal because, I mean, where I live in Colorado, we're 50, 60 percent coal. You do without that, we're going to have reliability issues and cost issues uh, to deliver electricity. But um, it doesn't mean we shouldn't be transitioning to cleaner energy and, and nuclear. Certainly, 
can fit that bill. And, and you did mm -hmm. mention public opinion. And, and for much of my career, nuclear has been a 50-50 sort of public acceptance uh, uh, situation where either people love it or they hate it. Um, today, in light of, the, of, of, of cleaner energy needs and demands from society, we're now seeing a 76% uh, approval rating, if you will, for nuclear energy as part of, our, part of the solution going forward. So that's going to make it a lot easier for uh, politicians and decision makers to get behind and support. I, I had the opportunity, the real privilege to testify for the Senate Energy and Natural Resources Committee um, uh, a month before last and speak to regaining America's leadership in nuclear energy, both here and abroad. And, you know, 10, 15 years ago, that would have been a very contentious setting. Not mm -hmm. saying I would be like Martin Shrekwick coming in and testifying on behalf of Pharma or, or Jack mm -hmm. Dorsey uh, defending uh, uh, on public mm. uh, privacy issues, but I would have had the Democratic senators really use it as an opportunity to just go after nuclear power and, and try yeah. to tear it down. That was not the case and is not the case presently back on Capitol Hill where even former opponents of nuclear power have, have either quieted uh, or, 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 or kind of stifled their, their rhetoric and, and opposition towards nuclear power. And other Democrats like Joe Manchin are absolutely 100% on board with it because of what it can provide mm -hmm. uh, the country. And so, it's one of the few things that is truly bipartisan in nature back in DC these days. So I feel quite fortunate to be in that position because this energy revolution that we're going, through, I mean, there are winners and losers and then it's you know, you know, being in a state that depends heavily on the oil and gas industry in Colorado. Yeah. I mean, the boots are being put to, to fossil fuels and that's a very difficult transition for them. So, um, you know, we're going to have to figure out how to balance all these interests. But I know nuclear energy today, um, you know, is about as bipartisan uh, in support as you can get. Yeah. And, you know, the important thing is, is to remember that you, you can't get rid of coal 100% because that is, it's used in other types of manufacturing. It's in, it's in um, things that we build it's in you know it's it's not just an energy thing so we have to go side by side you know and maybe we we use less a lot less of the coal for the energy part mm -hmm. but you know I, I don't see you know unless we can create things differently you know coal is not really going to well, we need coal to make steel. That's pretty important. Yeah, they, you know, they, and, yeah, that's you know, there are ways to do carbon sequestration and, and advances in mm -hmm. uh, sequestering the, the carbon emissions from coal. So we need to be, you know, America's blessed with many energy alternatives. We should be using the best use sure. of, of everything we've got at our disposal. What do you see the future um, that we haven't talked about? You know, are we going to have our own little household reactors, you know, they're going to be, um, you know, what do you see if you, if you had your wish, where do you see nuclear power? Yeah, I mean, I think that that much decentralization in nuclear is probably not the best efficient use. I mean, frankly, solar is a better decentralized, mm -hmm. you know, for, for placing something on your home or your roof. But I do see nuclear, whether it's the 1600 megawatt units that are powering uh, major cities and economies, or there'd be small modular reactors that are backing up renewables and, and part of the mix. Um, you know, I think that really gives us, um, you know, 
again, if your tech audience knows that, you know, we're going to be using more electricity, not less. I've never seen an economy in the history of mankind grow on using less energy. It's more energy. And we shouldn't be afraid to use more energy. We're always told, oh, conserve energy. But what if we can produce it cleanly? You know, yeah. what if we can produce it abundantly? And that drives, you know, our, our economy. Why shouldn't we use more of it? And I think that's where we've got to you know, continue to innovate and, uh, and, and make advances in all energy technologies to, to really deliver that, that promise. Well, I love the fact that we could, if we could get to the point where we can use nuclear power for emergency situations, uh, third world countries, you know, even within the United States, you look at the Navajo Nation here in Arizona, and you look at some of the tribal lands and some people, you know, they're rolling blackouts they have really big issues with electricity uh and other people and in, in, it doesn't have to really be a third world country it, you know just there are people in places where my god if you could just roll in this smaller reactor and then you know even if it's temporary and especially when you know the hurricanes and and disasters happen um Wow, you know, I, I don't know how that works. I'm not that smart, but it, it, I know that it we sounds have, wonderful. We have, we have done that uh, on a small scale with the U.S. Navy, where I think it was in Haiti after the earthquake, where mm -hmm. um, they did dock the aircraft carrier and and, uh, and reverse the transmission. You know, so mm -hmm. they were actually providing electricity from the reactors on board, you know, to the grid. Uh, the Russians mm -hmm. are developing floating. Uh, reactors that are essentially the same thing, providing electricity yeah. in the remote Siberian region. So there's a lot of uh, innovative applications we can use, but it's all about delivering clean, uh, reliable energy. Well, Scott, I, I could go on for probably another hour or so, um, but, uh, you know, this has been wonderful. How can, I, I think I've piqued, you've piqued my interest. I know you're going to peak our listeners' interests. How can people learn more about what you do and about uranium and nuclear? Yeah. Um, listen, I think uh, if you're interested in nuclear energy and, and just the whole broader picture, I would go to the World Nuclear Association uh, out of London, go on their website, uh, go to the Nuclear Energy Institute, which is our uh, nuclear industry organization in, in DC. Um, my company's Uranium Royalty Corp and Uranium Energy Corp um, uh, on their websites, you can see what we do in terms of supplying and, and financing the development of new uranium mines. And that's a way to invest in, in this green energy story. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the ESG investing and clean investing has become such a huge um, uh, thing, very real. And it's, it's uh, certainly boosting our, our industry where we're seeing uh, funds that, that, you know, have in, already invested heavily in wind and solar and battery companies and to be able to invest in uranium uh, you know is, is, is an, for them is an additional new industry for them to support with clean investments so uh, I would encourage your listeners if, if green investing in nuclear energy is of interest uh, uraniumenergycorp.com and uraniumroyalty.com uh, are, uh, are two uh, ways to, to have a direct investment in, in cleaner energy. Wonderful. Well, Scott, I thank you very much for coming on and uh, enlightening us 
about this, uh, you know, this wonderful project that I think is the future of the world. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. It's a pleasure. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to the Richer Geek Podcast, where we're helping others find creative ways to build wealth and financial freedom. For today's show notes, including all the links and resources from our show and more information about our guests, visit us at www.therichergeek.com slash podcast. And don't forget to jump over to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button. Share with others who could benefit from listening. And leave a rating and review to get the podcast in front of more eyes. I appreciate you, and thanks for listening.